Hi there, welcome to Mages and Murder Dads, episode number 19. I'm Cameron. And I'm Danny. And uh, today we have a very special guest. Arguably, uh, a, a person without whom Siege of Dragon Spear would not exist. Elminster himself. Whoa. Edward Greenwood. Whoa. It's not him. Neither of those. It's a guy named Phil Daigle, uh, who is a lead designer for Siege of Dragon Spear. Hey! Yeah. What a, what a get. What a get for this show. Yeah, I, I bet. So there are probably like some people listening to the show thinking, oh, these, 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 these rubes, they're never going to do anything with this podcast. Well, A, we're only one episode away from 20 episodes. So the big two. A, A, that. Mm-hmm. And B, well, we're interviewing the lead designer of a game, like a real game. And, uh, and what, are, what are you doing? You're listening to us interview that lead designer. We're important. Yeah. We're recognized we're, by our peers. We're a part of the conversation. We are the conversation. There you go. Hashtag the conversation. Hashtag the resistance. Hashtag barbarian rhymes. All right. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so we already did the interview. I'm going to edit that in here in just a second mm-hmm. with, a little, with a little movie magic. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I thought, it, I think it was a really good interview. Don't you? No, it was really good. Uh, we go a lot of places. Some places we expected to go. Other places were a little unexpected. And I think there are a few surprises in here for our list of viewers. Mm-hmm. And we talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, man. But you don't know where. You'll have to listen to the whole thing to figure out where. Mm-hmm. And, well, I'm not going to tell you what we know or don't know. But we know or do not know something. Yeah. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to lead on into the, into the thing. But uh, what should people do when they listen to this podcast? What are, what are the plugs that you have to make? When you make go down to the show? description. Click the link to go to Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Go down to the description. Click the link to go to my Twitter and to Danny's Twitter. Follow us both. Uh, you can go to the Patreon to support the show. If you like the show and like what we do, you can support us for a dollar a month. That would really help us out. Uh, the theme song is by Brian Taylor. This is the last episode where Brian Taylor's theme song is in it. There's a new theme song for the next episode. Um, at Silverskinned on Twitter did our little portraits. Those might change sometime in the future. I actually don't know yet, but that could occur. But for right now, that. And uh, that's it. That's all the stuff they could do. Oh, like and subscribe here on YouTube, of course. Yeah, and uh, here's here's the interview. Let's listen to it. So, so Phil, thank you for uh, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure here here at Mages and Murder Dads. Still, probably the only uh, Baldur's Gate podcast uh, that we still refuse to Google. Yeah, why? <laughs> well, why ask a question you're not going to like the answer to? Exactly, exactly. You, uh, I feel like you belong on the show uh, already. And uh, so, yeah. So, I guess like let, let's start with really, really big uh, questions. Why sure. did you make? Siege of Dragonspear. Why did we make Siege of Dragonspear? That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. So um, many, many years ago, uh, we had decided that we definitely wanted to bring Baldur's Gate uh, 1 and 2 and eventually Icewind Dale, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to the iPad. 
And in the course of doing that, uh, we had to update it for desktops as well because the game had been, it was so out of date at this point that it was kind of a pain to play. There were mods out there that could fix it up, but it wasn't a very pleasant experience. And so we said, okay, we're going to fix it up, get it on iPad, it'll, it'll be great. And in the development of it, we realized that people, um, they love Baldur's Gate, but it's hard for them to come back to a game they've already played unless there's new content. So very quickly we realized, hey, you know what, we need to produce some additional new content for these games. And that's where, uh, you know, Nira, Dorne, Rasad, those characters came out of the uh, enhanced editions. And then in Baldur's Gate 2, we added uh, Hexat and a few other fun adventures. We did the Black Pits 1 and 2. And we had generally just been adding a lot of new, fresh content to the game to make fans of Baldur's Gate uh, enticed to come back and play it again. And the entire time we were working on those things, we were like, you know what we would love to do is BG 1.5, which is basically something that can bridge the gap between Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2. And we didn't really have any plans beyond, you know, we want to do a connecting adventure that's really cool and fun. But for the first while, it was kind of just a, a loose idea. And uh, towards the end of Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition, we realized, hey, you know what, we're kind of in the perfect position to start thinking about this more seriously. So we kind of cranked up our, our plans and started development on it. Cool. So, so yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about kind of the, the time frame you chose to, mm. to kind of put Siege of Dragonspear, because it's a pretty mm. tight time frame between the oh, end yeah. of Baldur's Absolutely. Gate 1 and the very beginning of Baldur's Gate 2. Did you feel constrained by that time frame, or, or did you appreciate the kind of structure that that gave the team? It was it was constraining at first, definitely. Um, it's this is always going to be the case when you're doing a prequel, in, in that you know what the outcome is. You have to reach a certain target, and we were under even greater constraints because it was both a sequel and a prequel. So we knew we had to start in one end, and we knew we had to end at one end, and we had to build some manner of pipe that could reach those two points while also going on an interesting journey on its own. Um, and initially, uh, you know, Dragonspear Castle was just kind of thrown out there as, hey, this is a location close to Baldur's Gate. Surely we could have a fun adventure here. And uh, eventually we found a way to make it work. But it was it was tough at first because it's like everyone knows what happens. Um, you know, you end up in Arrhenicus's dungeon. Spoiler alert in case you haven't played Baldur's Gate 2. Sorry, guys. <laughs> We're going to get there. Um, you know what? I, 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 I would recommend it. Wait for a sale. You know, it's been out for a while. You could probably uh, get it at a good price. Yeah, we don't want to uh, overextend our uh, our limited Baldur's Gate capital. Yeah, you know, it's it's something you can only take so much of. <laughs> but uh, that, that's kind of the story. I mean, it was a constraint, but we couldn't really think of a better place to fit in a new adventure. You could argue that it's possible to fit an adventure into BG2 between uh, the main campaign and throwing a ball because there's sort of a, a vague period of time between when you're a guest of Sultan SLR and when you have to run off to the south. But we felt that the gap between BG1 and 2 was a lot more enticing. There were a lot more loose threads, per se. So... Uh, while it was a, a tight squeeze, uh, I, I really wouldn't have wanted to do another Baldur's Gate story anywhere else. Yeah, so so how do you make a decision about those those threads from the end of, of Baldur's Gate 1, right? Because, you know, clearly you have to make some choices about which characters uh, come through, which ones are new, right? Like, like uh, who gets to continue their story? Yeah, um, and that was, that was a, a long challenge throughout the life of the project. Um, a lot of that was driven by 
which voice actors could we get back? <laughs> because huh. we, we had tried out like, you know, hey, let's bring back uh, Jahira. And her voice actress was gone. She was no longer working in the industry. Mm. And we were like, all right, you know what? Let's let's get a sound alike. Let's see what that, that sounds like. And it was it was close, but it wasn't Jahira. So you're kind of like, eh, this, this would be more disappointing than anything else. Um, Jahira actually did make it into the game because we had to have her. But we decided it would be better not to use a sound alike um, than try and risk uh, mutilating her voice, for lack of a better term. For everyone else, we went by voice actors so Khalid uh, we were able to get Jim Meskimen back so so we had Khalid in the game definitely there were a couple other characters we couldn't get the voice actors back uh, Safana um, wasn't the original voice actress but in her case the voice actress was so identical to the original that we decided to risk it so I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit here but <laughs> for the most part it was driven by what voice actors were available yeah, it's interesting that about the the kind of uh, industry constraint stuff to that. What was the total the dev timeline for Siege of Dragon Spear? How long did you have to work on it? Oh lord, uh, let me let me think about this for all. So the initial inception started way back um, when we were developing Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition. So this would have been 2011, 2012 around there, mm -hmm. and then it was kind of backburnered until towards the end of BG2. So we're probably looking at ramping up Siege, it would have been around the end of 2013. So towards the end of 2013, all of 2014, and all of 2015, and a big chunk of 2016, we were working on Siege, but the team sort of slowly grew. So for those first uh, 12 months or whatever, you know, there was only a small handful of people working on it at any given time. And then the last year of development uh, was kind of all hands on deck. We brought everyone in Beamdog over to help finish it off. Cool. And so earlier you were mentioning when you were thinking about, okay, we have this certain amount of time we need to, we need this story to happen. And you were thinking about like places and you said relatively early on Dragon Spear Castle came up. Um, were there any other locations that were thrown around or kind of big story hooks initially? Oh yeah. Let's, let's go through them all. Yeah, all no, awesome. let's, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me bring up my map of the sword coast here. <laughs> Oh no! This this is what I love doing is just mm -hmm. coming up with. Hey, wouldn't it be great to do a game in in this location? Mm -hmm. If we had video, uh, we would see a giant, uh, like a deerskin pelt map being unrolled. Oh man! Every time we take photos of our office, we have to blur out so much because we have these giant maps on the wall. But uh, all right, I got I got my map up here. So north of Baldur's Gate is kind of where we had been considering for the most part. Um. And originally, Siege of Dragon Spear was much larger than it ended up being. Um, you know, blue skies and all, you, you plan for the coolest thing imaginable, and then you scale back from there. And so uh, we were thinking of taking you to, like, Orlambar, which has a, a trading company run by a dragon. Uh, Warlock's Crypt is right around there, which is where Larlock lives. He's that famous lich in the Forgotten Realms that is always causing trouble for people. Mm. Uh, the High Moor uh, also has tons of stuff. There's a huge amount of history for the High Moor going back all the way to the uh, time of the, the Netherese, I believe. Uh, the Serpent Hills. Uh, we were even going to have a section in Subar, I believe, which is uh, just to the east of Baldur's Gate. Um, but in the end, we had to scale back the plans a little bit. But yeah, we, we would have loved to do everything south of Daggerford, but north of uh, Baldur's Gate, essentially. 
basically the, the north of that would have been off limits. That's kind of in Icewind Dale territory, I guess. Mm-hmm. So once you get past Jaggerford, you're heading into Waterdeep, and it's like, well, if we're going to get five feet away from Waterdeep and not actually go into the city, uh, that's kind of a kick in the pants. Yeah. So, so you're a big lore nerd. Like, I'm getting a feeling. To, to an extent. So, like, I'm, I'm going to admit that I have read very few D&D novels. But I've, I've played the games, like, a, a silly amount. And I've played a, a ton of uh, tabletop. And I've read a lot of the, the, the source books and whatnot. So if you're asking me, like, hey, what did uh, Elminster do when his daughter gave him that shard and he put it in his hand? I would be like, uh, I... Uh, but if you want to ask me about the history of the Sword Coast, I will do slightly better. You're the guy. You're the history yeah. of the Sword Coast guy. Well, look, we both read... Well, no, I, I take that back. Only I read an Elminster novel <laughs> in preparation for a previous episode, mm-hmm. and I have no interest in ever doing that again. It was That's a reoccurring, it was a reoccurring uh, little uh, section in each, in each podcast, and it, it made it all of one season. We made it, we made it through uh, part of Baldur's Gate with that, with that uh, little section. Did you uh, you know what you guys should do instead of uh, just general D and D novels? Is you should read the novelizations of the Baldur's Gate series. I so I have read those, and, <laughs> and, and or at least the first one, and they are fascinating because I remember Khalid being just ruthlessly murdered right in the middle of Baldur's Gate one. And who can forget Minsk with his fiery red hair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've that's, always that's read. what we all know him for. Yeah, maybe you can shed some light on this, but I so I've always, you know, kind of internet forum knowledge, whatever, uh, heard that the writer for that book had a kind of like some pre-story notes, some script notes, basically from the game, and not the full game. Do you? I have don't any... know. I don't know the exact details, but I do know that it was. Uh, it was. It was. I'm pretty sure it was towards the end of the development of the game, and it wouldn't have been final and. You're you're probably right, honestly. It was probably just working notes from an early draft of the story, but that still doesn't explain BG2. <laughs> mm. I guess if you want to maintain consistency between the books, that's fair, but... It's its own pocket dimension. There you go. It's it's a pocket plane where Minsk has fire red hair. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's my personal canon. That's my head canon. So, uh, I mean, you, you, you guys are BG fans. You're probably on the up and up about Minsk's uh, history. Uh, we've i feel like um we were relatively casual under we had a casual understanding of minsk's mm-hmm. history and i feel like siege of dragon spear actually fleshed a lot of that out for us in terms of meeting that other pair from uh what was the what was the region they're from oh uh uh, uh rashomon I think. rashomon yeah yeah. In terms of meeting meeting those other folks uh, and kind of getting a little bit of a feel for for that culture, but uh, is there something I, I, something else we're missing? Um, I could tell you the the origin of, of Minsk, but just as a quick aside, I really love that quest. I was a little worried initially that it would come across as super cheesy because it's like ah, you meet the the uh, reverse of of Minsk and Dinah here. But actually seeing how it was handled, I, I was really pleased uh, to see it and. Yeah, like I, I thought it was really, really cool to meet basically the female version of Minsk and see the male version of Dinah here and see that that really interesting history of Rashman. But uh, 
Minsk, um, I'm sure you know that Minsk was originally a, an actual D&D character uh, by Cameron Topher uh, way, way back in the day when he was playing uh, a campaign with, I think, James Olin. No, I don't know that. Please continue. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Fill this whole so, thing out. Yeah. The story of Baldur's Gate, uh, like the characters of Saravok, Minsk, uh, a few others, they all were derived uh, from a, an actual D&D campaign that was played up in uh, Grand Prairie, Alberta. So four hours north of Edmonton, and Edmonton is already pretty damn north. Uh, there's this tiny town called Grand Prairie, and... It's got a regional college that for some reason churns out these incredibly successful uh, computing science grads. So way back in the mid-90s, there was this crew of nerds up in GP playing D&D. And uh, that's the origin of Baldur's Gate. I'm pretty sure it was James Olen. He was their DM. And, uh, you know, Saravok was a party member. Uh, Minsk was a party member. And Edwin was a party member and a few others. And they had these crazy adventures. And then when that group uh, sort of slowly got hired by Bioware and melted away down to Edmonton, eventually they're like, hey, James, you want to come make a game with us? And he did, and he brought his story, and that's uh, how they started building Baldur's Gate. Oh, wow. So, so is it, was it just the characters, or were there, like, plot pieces and kind of locations that were filled it, in from this real-life campaign? It was largely the characters, but mm-hmm. their personalities, that's where they originated from. So uh, Minsk... Um, Cam kept requesting like these ridiculous uh, familiars and the DM was like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And he had set Minsk's uh, intelligence so low that he was basically a, a, a handicapped person. Like he wasn't able to converse with anyone. He couldn't functionally do anything. And so Cam was like, huh, well, uh, my guy is super dumb and he constantly gets knocked out on the first round of combat because he's got super low hit points. So eventually he talked uh, James into giving him a familiar, which was a miniature giant space hamster. Because <laughs> he kept like throwing familiars at him. He's like, can I have this? No. Can I have this? No. Can I have this? Can I have a space hamster? No. Can I have a miniature space hamster? All right. So eventually <laughs> that's how he got Minsk. And so what would happen is that Minsk had all the intelligence points. And when Minsk, or sorry, uh, Boo would get all the intelligence points. And when Minsk would immediately go down in combat in the first round, then Boo would run around uh, doing things on behalf of Minsk, which is kind of where, you know, go for the eyes came from. <laughs> but the, the important thing to remember is that Boo is not super intelligent. He's he always j- just been a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry about him. <laughs> so don't worry about him. That's too oh, that's, good. And that also really that also reminds me of a conversation we had relatively early on in the podcast talking about what if this Baldur's Gate game we were playing was an actual campaign and we were in it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to see that like that's actually kind of the origin. So that hypothetical yeah. we ran more or less made sense. Yeah. It uh, it was really interesting to hear the story because I, I had no idea that that was the case. But uh, yeah, Cam is uh, one of the founders of Beamdog. So he, he goes way back... Uh, and in fact, he, he, he requested to review all of Minsk's new lines to make sure that they were in character. So uh, he was quite happy to come back to Minsk after, God, 20 years more. Yeah, you don't want to ruin that intellectual property. <laughs> the <laughs> exactly. Well, they've got, they've got the, co- the comics now. Mm-hmm. Have you seen those? He's got his own adventure series. I think I did know famous. that. I've read some reviews of it. I haven't uh, actually read the comic. I think it's called Murder in Baldur's Gate. 
I got I got to write it down. I'm writing Sounds it down right now. Sounds appropriate. There's a lot. Oh, of no, no, that was uh, it was a module they released, but uh, I'm pretty sure Murder in Baldur's Gate connects into the Minsk comic. But it was really cool to see. Um, the way they brought him forward is really clever. So Baldur's Gate takes place uh, around 150 some odd years before current fifth edition D and D. And you know Minsk is a human, so obviously he can't live for a super long time. But what they did was. Uh, he was turned to stone, and in the center of Baldur's Gate, there was this statue of Minsk that was actually him. And at the beginning of the comic series, uh, a wild mage accidentally casts uh, stone to flesh and brings it back to life. Oh, and then he just goes around swinging a two-handed sword? Uh, doing... the, initially, he thinks that the person who rescued him is uh, Nera from the Enhanced Edition. Uh. And I didn't know Watsi was going to use her, and I was quite excited because she was one of my creations. Oh, that's cool. And uh, it's not Nera, however. It's it's a person who looks similar to her because it's been 150 years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he very quickly goes back into his old ways of kicking butts for goodness and rooting out evil where he finds it. Yeah, I guess that's a, that, that kind of uh, brings up a, another question we wanted to ask. Uh, like, what is the relationship between Beamdog as a, a story-generating design entity of its own and Wizards uh, of the Coast? I mean, do they have kind of final say over what you're doing, or is it a conversation? Uh, it's both. So they own the intellectual property, so ultimately it's their call. If they don't want us doing something, we're not going to do it. And if they want us to change something, we're we're going to do it. But at the same time, they're not deeply controlling. They want us to drive the ship. They want us to come at them with cool ideas, and then they can just say, yeah, let's do it, or you know what? No, we can't actually do that. Um, we have an absurdly close relationship with Wizards of the Coast. I've seen other game companies relationships with their ip holders and publishers and they're they you know you kind of keep them at a distance because you don't want them to see how the sausage gets made but that's not really the relationship wizards and 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 beamdog have they have direct access to our in development artwork all of our files that sort of thing when we produce new game builds they just automatically get them so we show them everything. We, we loop them in early in in all of our processes. Um, we're actually working with them right now for a, a quite big thing. Uh, unfortunately, I can't reveal it, but we, we work so close in hand, it's, it's kind of weird, honestly. Not a lot of companies will be this close. And from the stories that I've been told about you know, way back in the day when, say, Neverwinter Nights uh, was under development, Wizards is essentially a completely different company. They're very open. They're very collaborative. So if, if I had to choose another uh, IP holder to work with, it, it would be rough because I'm so used to this kind of relaxed relationship that we have. Yeah, it seems like a really... Uh, they, they seem like a really positive and, and kind of... Uh... Uh, kind oh, yeah. parent company in some ways. I mean, I've I've written about wizard stuff quite a bit, and that's how we ended up setting this interview up. Is I've I've uh, interviewed a bunch of bunch of oh, people yeah. over there for journalism stuff. So, um, so yeah. I mean, if if you look at at what wizards does, I mean, they produce Dungeons and Dragons and they produce Magic the Gathering, and both of those are extremely social games. And so I think they realize that they need to have that attitude of being you know just easy to work with. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we, we love it. I, I wouldn't have a different partner. Uh, it is very appropriate that this is, uh, that we're recording this on Valentine's Day. Oh, right. Crap. Wizard <laughs> oh, <of the> Coast. No. <laughs> Guys, we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap this up in about 20 minutes. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, Wizards of the Coast is your Valentine, so I think it's probably fine. I think I could convince my girlfriend of that. I think I could swing that. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's just Drizzt Doerden and you uh, yeah. in a little heart. Mm-hmm. It's like of... being married to the sea. I'm married to the wizard, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So let's um, let, let's talk favorites. You want to talk favorites? Let's yeah, talk that'd favorites. be that'd be fun. So I've uh, I've got a lot of favorites when it comes to Siege of Dragon Spear. Um, and I was wondering, what's your favorite side quest? in that game favorite side quest well i already kind of went into how much i enjoyed the the conversation with the sort of alternate minsk and dina here mm-hmm. um aside from that oh it's hard to say i was a big fan of the uh of the little lich outpost in the uh the first uh, sort of outdoor exploration map on the right hand side there's that little uh mining tunnel that you can get into that broke into the sort of lich laboratory oh yeah the dwarves of dumathalene right yeah and i always thought that was just a fun little classic Baldur's gate you know adventure that you can run off and do your own thing but what really made it cool in my eye was the uh the scrying scene how you could uh gather the uh, regions together and then spy on on people in the game and i always thought that was a really cool and very D D thing to do yeah, no, I really enjoyed that, and I think uh, the uh, I think the, there was one scene in particular where you got to scry on the hooded figure. So, yeah. so and uh, and being able to get that much more information uh, about you know, spoiler alert, Irenicus, uh was really neat, and I thought that uh, I thought I just thought that that was a, a really fun addition, and it gave you some experience too. So there was also like a yeah. meta game yeah. incentive, yeah. As, as a quick aside, uh, the inclusion of Irenicus in the plot was actually a pretty late addition. Um, we we didn't think that it would be possible to get uh, the voice actor who did uh, Irenicus, um, uh, David Warner. And then it turned out that he was actually available, and so we had to scramble to find a way to make it work. And so towards the end, I was like, hmm, wait a minute, what if we set it up so that he's testing the player character and that actually ended up strengthening the plot quite a bit um there were alternate versions of the plot uh when he wasn't present but i think the version we went with was was the strongest one we could have done yeah i guess i have a a question then about uh like uh elminster right elminster shows up Mm -hmm. a couple times in Baldur's gate one and drops out and then we have Mm -hmm. an evil wizard in, in Irenicus, who shows up a whole lot. Was there ever... Did you ever think about those two in relationship to one another? Was there ever any idea of like maybe bringing Elminster back into the plot or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, and, and we had actually talked about that. Um, we had actually, I think, even written up a couple test scenes with Elminster, and we weren't terribly enthusiastic about how it was turning out, and I don't think Wizards was terribly interested in having Elminster come back. Um so we had briefly thought about it, but in the end, we decided to just back off from the idea. But there is definitely a parallel there. Um, Elminster doesn't really encounter you a lot in, in BG1, but that is actually one of the scenes that I wanted to sort of emulate in, in Seed of Dragon Spear over and over again, is you know, you're, you're wandering around and this mysterious figure approaches you in, the, in this place that you've arrived in, and he seems to know a lot about you. And yeah, like so we did think about that, but... Elminster was not, uh, he didn't make it into the game. 
He's, he's deeply sad. He's hanging he, he out with... He can cast a, a spell that'll make himself happy. The guy's got skills. <laughs> oh, I just remember uh, back in the day reading, I think maybe issues of Dungeon Magazine, and oh, yeah. uh, or maybe Dragon, one of the two, where Ed Greenwood would occasionally write these like first-person narrative bits that also included pieces of um, like Forgotten Realms lore in them. And they would always open with like, you know, Ed Greenwood looks out the window and there's Elminster <laughs> sitting on a rock, hanging out, smoking a pipe. And then they're like super best bros for a while. And I've always thought that like Elminster is a, a super strange kind of creeper dude who just shows up out of nowhere and wants to hang out. That's the best kind of wizard. The one that just appears out of nowhere wanting to hang out with, uh, with uh, his pipe. That's, exactly. of course, deeply critical. So, yeah, so can we talk about uh, encounter design? That that super cool crowd-pleaser encounter design sure. philosophy? Um, so, yeah, so, so... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's... I'll let you... Uh, I was, I was going to say, I mean, I, I didn't directly do most of the encounters. I mean, I can talk about them, but actually it was Alex Tomovic who was our encounter specialist. He was a giant, massive fan of Icewind Dale and how they had done their encounter style. And so he kind of ported that system over to Baldur's Gate, and it actually ended up working out quite well. Yeah, yeah. I think early on when we were playing this, there's definitely a very different feel from throughout BG1 into into uh, Siege of Dragonspear. And it's interesting that you talk about Icewind Dale because uh, when Kunzman and I were trying to compare like what the encounters felt like we kind of were drawing parallels between well Baldur's Gate 2 Baldur's Gate 1 feels very much like kind of a second edition like advanced Dungeons and Dragons like a very Gygaxian feel to it Mm -hmm. like you like oh there's going to be a pit in a dungeon and that pit's going to have like one slime and that slime isn't necessarily like a threat to anybody but that's just the you know that's the fauna of the the, dungeon is of the dungeon whereas the encounters in siege of dragon spear felt more like 4e 5e or even like tighter like cr rating third edition where these are these encounters are actually meant to challenge the 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 player, and you have to tactically engage with them in order to succeed. Was there kind of that feel to it? Yeah, exactly that. So the pillars of a of a solid Baldur's Gate game are exploration, uh, conversation, combat, and companions. So those four things, if you really nail them, then you're going to have a strong chance at, at really nailing Baldur's Gate. In the case of Siege, however, we didn't really have a lot of opportunities for exploration. You'll note that the, the adventure is fairly linear, and there's not a lot of backtracking, and there's not a lot of just pick a direction and wander in that direction and find something to do. So we knew that we had to really amp up the other pillars in order to compensate, and that's kind of where the combat design came out of. We knew that we had to really provide a solid game to bite into in lieu of having a large amount of content to explore. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think, uh, so talking about, there was, I think, at least one or two chapters where I felt my 
exploration muscles kind of getting a workout. And I think one in particular, I think it was chapter 10. It was this, it was this really sprawling uh, chapter where that was the chapter where you had to go underneath uh, Dragon Spear Castle to plant the yeah. explosive. And so under, under there, there were like, it was some real just like Dungeons and Dragons-esque stuff yeah. in that, in those caves. There were drow down there. There were like several different side quests. Um, you had a so lot that- of like intersection. That whole area is directly inspired by the Underdark from Baldur's Gate 2. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that, that's one of my favorite areas in the entire series. Probably in, in all of role-playing games, uh, the Underdark in BG2 is one of my favorite areas. And I wanted to not necessarily capture the exact same feeling, but a similar one of just there's danger in every direction, and it feels like I'm in an extremely bad place. When I went into the Underdark in BG2, it was like being in, you know, in Berlin during World War II as a spy or something, right? Like you look around, there's Nazis everywhere. It's 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 heart pounding, and I wanted to sort of capture the same feel in uh, the Underground River, and uh, I I think that in the end, when the team put everything together, it was a long time coming, and it's a very dense area with a lot of con- content, but in the end, I think they really delivered on that idea. Yeah, and the structure of that chapter, I think, is really interesting, too. Uh, I mean, you're kind of talking about big design pillars. Um, Was the idea that you could kind of go into the camp, into the Crusader camp, and and kind of um, interact with them as normal NPCs? Like, how how far, or how early in development did that appear? Was that like a big... That one, uh, so being able to go into the the, uh, the enemy camp actually was, again, another fairly late addition, probably around the same time that we decided we could work uh, David Warner and Renicus into the story. Hmm. So we had we had set it up. Um, chapter 10 was essentially supposed to be like our, our version of Chapter 2 in Baldur's Gate 2, where hmm. your objective is get a lot of money, and there's just an insane amount of content. And we had to scale back some of our plans for that, but it's still a very wide-open uh, chapter. And we had gotten to the point where you could visit the entrance of the castle, but you couldn't uh, go in. And in testing, it was like, you know what? There's so much cool stuff here. But when I when I show up at the castle, I'm like, Jesus, I wish I could spy and, and just pretend to be someone else and get in there. And we realized it wouldn't have been a ton of effort to add it. So we said, all right, let's do it. And we ended up designing a whole segment. Gotcha. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's really cool. I, I think, personally, I think Chapters 10 is just, like, some of the highlights for me in the game. There's just so much so much content there, and a lot of it is just really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, Danny, do you have any other big... I think we've worked our way through our list of questions. Yeah, I mean, I think we're obligated uh, to ask this final one. You want to do the honors, uh, Councilman? No, you can do it. Yeah, so Baldur's Gate 3, is, uh, is, is, this, is this a thing? Is he gone? Did he disappear? Did he run away? Um, I think he's still... Hello, hello. Oh, there we go. Oh, there he is. There he is. I was about to reveal everything, and then a hand uh, belonging to Trent just gripped me by the throat. Oh, man. Um, No, I can't can't say anything um, about that particular thing. I I can tell you that... uh, Actually, no. I won't won't say anything. I'll get in trouble otherwise. Well, let's say that it is not a thing. Would you want to do it? I think... uh, 
honestly, yes, I would love to do Baldur's Gate 3, but at the same time, if you really think about Baldur's Gate 3, like, let me ask you this. What do you think Baldur's Gate 3 should be? A city builder game Mm -hmm. in which uh, you apply very good roguelike elements uh, to a tech... No, none of that. I don't know. It would be, uh, you know... A bullet hell game. A bullet hell game where you're Elminster and (laughs) are constantly going uh, right. No, not that either. So, all right. Now, if I were to go back to 2007 and I were to ask you, hey, what should Fallout 3 be? What would you say? Mm. Would you say first-person shooter? No, I would say a uh, a bullet hell game where you're elements. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the, the challenge, right? Like, let's say you're going to make a Baldur's Gate 3. Do you make it an isometric game in the style of the originals, or do you try and do something a little more extreme? Do you go first-person? Do you make it more like Oblivion? Do you make it, you know, an over-the-shoulder sort of chase cam sort of thing? And... I think a lot of people are expecting it to be isometric. I think a lot of people are expecting it to be something new. And I think that no matter what you do, you're going to end up disappointing a lot of people. I would love to be completely wrong about that. Maybe, you know, BG3 will get made and it'll be exactly what everyone wants. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something to think about. If Baldur's Gate 3 were to come, maybe it wouldn't be the game that you're expecting. And... Uh, I, I would love to work on an isometric Baldur's Gate 3. Let me just put that out there. I think that would be super duper fun. Uh, but who knows what, what ends up getting made. Mm. 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 That's some real hooded figure uh, dialogue there. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, man. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying that it's, it's, it's in production or anything. I'm just saying that there's a lot of uh, competing visions for what it could be, basically. You might as well just be putting on a hood and stepping out of the shadows and mean mugging us, talking talking about how uh, we haven't met, lived up to our destiny and then, like, disappearing. (laughs) Sorry, man, you're not ready. You're not ready for Baldur's Gate 3 yet. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. I I don't know. I'm pretty sure I'm not. uh, I think I can talk about this. So, yeah, I'm playing the new uh, Torment game for review right Mm -hmm. now. For Pace Magazine, Pace Games, go to, go to yeah. Pace Games, and uh, and I I feel a very similar way, right? Like it's it's meant to be a spiritual successor, of course, to Planescape Torment, you know, kind of in the DNA of the Baldur's Gate uh, stuff, and uh, yeah, like there are notes of that that it is hitting very well, and there are notes that mm-hmm. it isn't, and one can imagine a world in which they weren't so attentive to the very particular form of that game and it was a little more interesting or a little more uh compelling mm-hmm. although that game is very good i don't i don't want yeah. to say that it isn't yeah and, and, and if if you know a bg3 comes out that's different i don't want to you know be preemptively saying ah it's not you know what people are expecting i guess ultimately what i'm saying is i would love to work on Baldur's gate 3 but i worry it would be very constraining in a way yeah yeah yeah. And having done Siege of Dragonspear within some very yeah. tight constraints, I, I imagine yeah, exactly. you have a, you know, a good idea. Ready about that. for vacation. <laughs> soon. <laughs> it's got to be soon, though, right? Uh, we, we've got something in the pipe. You'll, you'll hear from us in the near future. Ooh. But I'll be, I'll be good, and I won't, I won't reveal it ahead of time. Okay. Oh, wow. Neutral good. Well, that's law. That's lawful <laughs> that's good, I guess. That might be lawful neutral. Well, I mean, if if I'm if I'm intentionally torturing you with with you know tidbits of information, is that lawful good? Mm. Yes, a paladin would say yes. Well, okay. Well, well, yeah, Danny. Do you have any closers? 
No, I think that's it. I do think it's interesting. I haven't really thought about Baldur's Gate 3 in that respect, but uh, you saying that it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you do your best to try to make it as close as possible to BG2, when you do miss and when when it is like a little off, it's only going to stand out more. And if you try to make it something transformational where it's really that kind of shift from Fallout 2 to 3 then yeah. you're going to have like a bunch of people angry that it's not the exact same thing. So I, I, I can, I can, I haven't really thought yeah. about that, but I could totally see the tension there. And, and you know what, like fallout three now, obviously it was clearly the right decision, but for a long time, it wasn't entirely clear that they had, had successfully recaptured fallout. And in the end, you know, they did, but it was kind of touch and go there for a while, so it can be scary. It's kind of one of those things where history just has to judge you after, after yeah, one of those exactly, things. exactly, yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, after playing Siege, it was it was just a really fun time. It was a really fun game. Uh, well, thank you. We appreciate that. And we, we, had a, we had a really fun time. It was definitely, I do think that the encounter design, like that shift from BG1, and we, we we felt very much like we were kind of coasting on on a on a Baldur's Gate on core rules, and when we got to that first uh, dungeon, and I remember Kunzelman saying, "Damn, all Saravok had to do was get some of those fire beetles next to him. <laughs> we would have never we would have never killed him." Yeah, that's that's, 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 that's still true. <laughs> the, the curse of continually uh, more powerful video game enemies. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Phil, thank you so much for uh Thank for you for having me. This, this was us. great. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And when we're time. done uh sometime in like twenty twenty with Baldur's Gate Two, uh maybe we'll have you back on just to chat about I Baldur's Gate Two. Just because it's yeah. fun. I, I very much look forward to it. Awesome. Excellent. All right, thanks so much. All right, thanks for having me on guys, and uh I hope you have a great Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, you too. Thanks uh so tell Drizzit Doerden that I uh <laughs> said hello. He's waiting at home. <laughs> <laughs> What a great interview! Yeah, that was uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, so so thanks to thanks to to Phil Daigle for for doing that. We're hopefully we'll have him on again to just maybe for more talk about Minsk. I, I think I learned more about Minsk in that uh, in that conversation than I ever uh, investigated before. I mean, this guy went deep on forgotten realms like geography and lore. I feel like we have we can go back to that well many, many times. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm I'm deeply excited about it. Do you have a favorite part of the interview that you really liked? I think a thing that you learned. I think that uh, my favorite part was him talking about kind of chapter ten and the inspiration being uh, Drow in Baldur's Gate two. And that's something that our list of viewers can look forward to, because guess what we're doing next episode? What are we doing? We're going to start playing Baldur's Gate 2. Baldur's Gate 2, Enhanced Edition. If you want to play along with us, we the next episode will just be Irenicus's Dungeon. That classic, classic zone. If you don't know what that is, you're going to find out. Since some of that was spoiled for you, or spoiled for you, already in this episode. Yeah, the interview talked about some things, um, but when you're talking to a big shot lead developer, you can't you can't keep up the the no spoils policy. You know how it goes. I mean, I did close my ears and my eyes, and I just yelled no, 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 no. I did edit that out. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. It went on for two, three, <laughs> four minutes. 
All right. Well, um, do all the things I said at the beginning of the episode. Uh, click all the links in the description to follow us on various different sources. You can support us on Patreon. That's the most helpful thing you can do for this entire episode. If you like listening to this bi-weekly, or sometimes weekly, that uh, our Tazok Smiting episode, or Danny's Tazok Smiting episode, did really well. People seem to really like that. Yeah, I think people just had a bloodlust for Tazok. Um, but yeah, really the best thing you can do is just like if you have Google Chrome... Just hold control and click on all of the links in the video's description and then just like always have those in your browser just 100% of the time. Yeah. Yep. And then we'll be back in two weeks with the first episode of uh, Baldur's Gate 2 with a new theme song by John Fio. I can't wait. Maybe I'll put it right here. I'll probably put it right here. Ooh. All right. Two weeks. See you guys. Goodbye.